0: The Lord knew my heart, and that's what this sermon is going to be about. For this sermon, um, this morning, this passage, it's going to be in Matthew 6. If you want to open your Bibles, it's going to be projected up behind me too. Um, this is one of the most precious passages to me in real life when it's taking things of Scripture and having it bear on real life things. Um, and this one has just been such an encouragement to me. It's been a lifeline at times. Um, I am going to, with the encouragement of the elders, share a bit of a testimony as I introduce our passage. We're looking together at the anxiety passage from Matthew 6. A- and I want to be really upfront about this. This passage hits at the heart of what has been my biggest struggle in life, both pre conversion, but in a deeper and far more confusing way since my conversion. Jesus as well and um, don't normally open up a sermon with a testimony but I think that there's I think the Lord laid it on my heart and there's value in this but as I say that uh, this has been my biggest besetting struggle as a believer and an unbeliever this is where I'm supposed to now sound very spiritual and pastoral and tell you but Jesus healed me of all of that. Praise the Lord. He took it away, and I would love to say that, and I pray that someday I can stand before you and say that, but it wouldn't be true. In fact, anxiety actually became far worse over my first years in Christ um, before it got any better, so I would go so far to say whether I knew it or not, dealing with the issues of anxiety and worry had a corrosive effect on my mind and on my spirit and is why the Lord sent me on sabbatical. I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't realize the impact that anxiety was beginning to take on my thinking. I had to learn the hard way that Jesus gives us the tools for dealing with anxiety, but ignoring anxiety and trying to pretend like it's not looming like the 800 pound gorilla in the corner is not actually dealing with anxiety. They are not the same thing. Ignoring it and hoping it will go away and dealing with it are not synonyms. So I want to be very frank with you here, even if it leads to some people taking a judgmental posture towards me, I think I teach this as a man who had been brought to the point where anxiety was impacting my ability to truly enjoy life. So at that point I began reaching out, asking for help, asking for advice, reading everything that I could read on the issue. I didn't know if it was mental or if it was spiritual or medical or chemical. I just know that it became my new normal and it was really uncomfortable and I didn't like my new normal, didn't want to accept it as my new normal and I still don't particularly care for it. Um, I had a few doctors tell me, some of you guys know I went through uh, some chronic health issues where I was just in pain, um, mind-numbing pain every single day and the doctors told me that for somebody who spent decades living in chronic pain that the brain begins to adapt to that and you begin to be in this constant place of fight-or-flight syndrome where um, certain parts of your brain are secreting things thinking that you are in trouble so your brain becomes addicted to that secretion and if you if it senses you really are in trouble like chronic pain it wants to rid you of that body so something that God put there as a mechanism to help you can actually betray you I had other people tell me that it was diet or caffeine or sugars I had other people say that it was spiritual I had other people say that it it was just part of the stress of living an out-of-balance life. And the truth is, it was probably every single one of those things. But also the truth, in seasons where I've been in healthy rhythms, when it wasn't those things, it's not like I was without anxiety during those seasons. And that's what really frustrated me, when people would just say, If you just, if you just, if you just, if you would just remove this, if you would just do this, if you would just do a little less of this, if you just and I did it, and you know how discouraging it is when you take the advice of everybody around you that says, if you just, if you just, well, I am, and it's not working, and it's frustrating. It's, if I did all of that stuff, and I was living this life anxiety-free, and then I chose, you know what, I'm gonna just put all these things back into my life, and then I started to have anxiety, that's on me. I chose that, but if I'm going and seeking the counsel, and like Proverbs says, casting my bread on many waters, and and I'm casting it on many waters and applying the things from the scriptures and the thing that spirit-filled people and professionals are telling me and it's not going away, I don't know what to do with that, but I have a feeling that Jesus wouldn't just sit there and condemn me and say, you know what it is? You missed this thing hiding under that rock. If you go and look hard, you're going to find this secret, and that's going to be the magic bullet that's going to take that away from you. So where it became most apparent and still shows itself most often is my inability to truly Sabbath, and I want to speak to you guys today as we are gathered today on the Sabbath. My mind never rests. I don't know if anybody can identify with that. It never slowed. My mind didn't have a thing in it that said, just because it's the Sabbath, it's time for you to slow down because work's coming again tomorrow. So make sure that you're being replenished, that you're finished from your work, and that you are able to tackle the things that didn't work for me. You know many times I just wanted to poke my brain with a stick and say, shut up! Why do you have to keep doing this? I'm convinced that back in my addiction... Every drug I did, every drink that I ever took was because I just wanted my brain to shut up for five stinking minutes. And um, I brought it over. I carried it over into my Christian life. I just never felt finished. I always felt like there was one more thing on the task list looming over me. And how could I possibly feel at rest when there's one more thing that I have to do or that I should have finished? And I always projected that if I didn't do it, it would have ominous results. You ever get to that point? Like, I've got to do this thing. I've got to think about this thing. I've got to fixate my mind at this thing. Obviously, three in the morning is the perfect time for me to be sitting and figuring out all of life's problems. Or maybe it's not. But when you're in that anxiety loop, you get to this place where, and I've just got to figure it out because figuring it out is the only thing that's going to make sense. And makes sense is the only thing that's going to make it work. And making it work is the only thing that's going to make me feel free when all it does is leave you from ever feeling settled. So you know what? I started to do something about it. And I wish I could stand up here and say, follow my magic cure of doing something about it. But to be more accurate, I started to do a lot about it. Um, To be even most accurate, I started to do every single thing that I could do about it that I could possibly come across. I started seeing a therapist. I know you're not supposed to just say that in the pulpit, but um, I don't care, man. I'd rather have a church full of broken people that know that I go and see somebody and talk about my brokenness than just sit and hide my brokenness. It started changing the way that I eat and approach my fitness, even things like different teas that I drink at night to be able to slow down my mind so that restfulness would be able to maybe combat that anxiety. I started looking into areas where I could lean into the things that were making me anxious rather than feeling like I had to stuff them, numb them, self-medicate them, or just turn on static to be able to shut out the noise because I was tired of hearing the noise. Inside my head and I started to look into relational disharmony that was causing disharmony and anxiety and started practicing what the Sermon on the Mount had to say about relationships. What I can say is it's helped. What I can say even more before we get to our passage is that Jesus has given me hope in an area that I was not always convinced was not hopeless. He's given me tools. He's given me his spirit. He's given me his word. He's given me a wife who understands that she married somebody that that is wired like this. And by God's grace, she's not. So she's able to identify those things and speak truth into my life and speak scripture into my life and pray for me during those types of seasons. And he's given me a church where, aside from a little bit of fear of man issues this week as I was putting together this sermon I didn't hesitate to stand before you and tell you guys this is my junk and I have a feeling it's some of your junk too. Um, Why I think this is important to share from the view of behind the lenses of the person who is teaching on this, I've spoken to the staff and elders about this and they've encouraged me to be as transparent as possible as I share this topic because I guarantee you that there are people out there that are struggling with anxiety and is not always a topic that has been dealt with by the church the best and my experience has, an, has often been dealt with in a very either condemning, dismissive or what I'm going to call the me monster kind of way. So some of the ways I've seen the topic of anxiety dealt with and some of these have various results. You're going to see some things up here that yes, do these things. There's, so, there's going to be some more where I'm going to encourage you, maybe don't try those. Um, don't start there, but um, just pray it away. That, that seems to be a common one. Man, I'd love to just pray away my anxiety. I'd love to just pray away financial issues. I would love to just pray away every single thing that I deal with. But if you don't actually take time to empathize with somebody and you tell them to just pray it away, you know what that person ends up doing? They just end up praying, they just end up worrying on their knees instead of worrying to you. They're like, I'm not going to go talk to that person because that person obviously judges me if I talk about this, so I'm going to get on my knees before the Lord. Walk with them. Grab their hand. Pray with them. Don't just tell them, go pray away your anxiety. Another one, let's go to the scriptures. Like I said, some of these have various, that one's Incredibly valuable. It wasn't more than my first couple months in Christ where I memorized Matthew 6, Philippians 3, Philippians 4, 1 John chapter 5, multiple passages in the Psalms that teach you how to deal with anxiety. And they've been helpful for me. There's the Job's friend approach. That's called the, there must, it must be something that you did. Why are you anxious, man? What'd you do? What'd you do to make God mad at you? Um, that's not helpful. There's the dismissive approach. If you would just, and next time somebody comes to you with their soul crushed, and you have the stupid words, if you adjust about to come out of your mouth, eat those words. Go out, vomit them, come back when you're able to talk to somebody like a human. Because if you would just, might be the most harmful thing That can be done to somebody who's coming to you and struggling with you. You know what they did not come to you for? For you to just minimize and dismiss their problem and give them a... If you adjust, then you will be free. They didn't come to you for that. There's the just do what I did approach. That's what I call the me monster approach. I used to be anxious too. And then I went to this conference... And all my anxiety is gone. So you just need to, and then I read this book. And then I listened to this tape. And then I started taking this supplement. And then I, and then I, and then I, maybe they're not you. I mean, you ever consider that? Maybe the person does not come to anxiety and get there the same way that you got there. There's the, um, this one is very popular with pastors. The can't go to therapy because therapy is admitting defeat approach. AKA I'd rather suffer in silence approach. Um, There's the there's a pill for that approach. Then there's the almost as helpful. There is no pill for that approach. We call that the judgy fundamentalism approach. There's the over spiritualized approach. If you just walked around in life and everything was daisy and lalox, you would not have any problem with anxiety. And then the last one I threw on there just to be a nudge and be a little controversial, there's the weed dilemma approach. Um, There's two ways that people come at this one. There's um, the people that are like the the guy from my big fat Greek wedding, the just put some Windex on it kind of guy. They're just, just put some weed on that. CBD will cure everything man. Haven't you been to any stores? They got CBD here now. I laugh when I drive up and down the streets at all the places that say we got CBD here now. We got so does every other store on the Jersey Shore. And then there's the opposite of let's turn a blind eye to the fact that marijuana is going to be legalized in this state whether you like it or not. So let's continue to ignore it until it's right in front of us and then try to deal with it retroactively after we've already got nothing worth saying. Um, The church should engage these things. I've got to, sorry to my friends in Colorado who I know listen to these sermons, but you guys have stunk at getting out in front of this conversation. Um, They've got to accept that, man. Like This has been an issue that my friends in Colorado and Oregon, I know you're listening too, have had right in front of them, and they could have been leading us, saying, hey, we know that New Jersey is coming to this. We would like to help you how to have a responsible dialogue, but instead they sit and don't talk about it as if the people in their congregations aren't talking about it. So guess what? There are people in this congregation who have tried every single one of those things and are still struggling mightily. They still get up every day and seek to be the best lover of Jesus. They know how to be. I I know these people. They're in our church. I actually originally had written in my notes, ask these people to stand so that you could see how many of your brothers and sisters there are, but then I figured it might backfire on me if I asked a bunch of people who struggle with anxiety to stand up publicly in front of a couple hundred people. So don't stand um, or draw any attention to yourself in any way whatsoever. Uh, Well, at least we know it's genetic. (laughs) That was a wrong time to take a sip of water. Uh, Last thing by way of testimony and then I'm gonna like really just start flying into our text, but I think that the testimony part is actually pretty important and that's why it's getting the place of primacy that it's getting here when I open my news feed in the morning there are tons of tips on how to deal with anxiety look at any medical or psychological studies and you will see that the issue of anxiety is just skyrocketing and going through the roof anxiety is multiplying at an alarming rate most doctors will tell you that go to Barnes & Noble and you will find whole sections dedicated to dealing with anxiety breathing to overcome anxiety, yoga to overcome anxiety, the anxiety cure diet, um, a ton of other topics that are either directly or indirectly related to anxiety. I recently went to the health food store to get some supplements and I saw that they have CBD for anxious dogs right at the counter. That's not a joke, it really does exist. Um, sorry if you guys think that that's smart. Um, I'm not trying to insult anybody. Um, but man, it, it's, it's everywhere, it's even for dogs and cats right now struggling with anxiety. If you want to really know listen to people's stories. You won't have to listen long before somebody tells you how they never felt comfortable in their skin and they always felt like a square peg in a round hole. How they long for more community and connectivity but social anxiety keeps them from knowing how to engage people because they have phobias that just they, they don't know how to talk they freeze up when they're around others or how they felt the need to self-medicate and numb themselves to deal with the issue of anxiety. And that brings me to the point of the point of the point of the point from our text, the world is becoming an increasingly anxious place and there is hope to be found in Jesus. Learning to grab a hold of that hope through Christ and how to point others to the hope that can be found through Christ for their anxiety is possibly the greatest missional apologetic of this millennia at this time. If you want to be missionaries, learn how to do dialogue in the way of anxiety. Anxiety is what the Lord used to drive me to my knees to find him in salvation. Anxiety is what the Lord still uses to drive me to my knees to still go and find Jesus. And I pray that if there's anybody here that's wrestling, then that when we have this prayer time up front that there would not be one prayer person that is not being prayed with. So as we look to our text, when looking at Matthew 6, it is really important for us to define a couple of words. Let's look at the first verse of the anxiety passage. It says, don't be anxious right over it in my Bible in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I want to take a moment to define our terms before we really go into this text because if you define your terms you'll see that the rest of this unfolds pretty naturally but i want to see what the bible has to say about anxiety and um, perhaps just as important what jesus is not saying because of not taking time to define terms i have heard well-intended messages on the topic of anxiety come across as cold dispassionate and condemning from christian pulpits when that's the last thing that i read here in the teachings of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ what I'm getting at is when I say the word anxiety it is quite possible that every single person in this room might be hearing that in some sort of different way look with me again at the first verse on the anxiety passage he's saying I say to you in verse 25 do not be anxious about your life there is a couple of Greek terms for anxiety and worry In the Bible, this one comes from the Greek word maramnate, which comes from marimna. And this term usually means to worry about or to have great care for. If you want some other scriptures that it's used to get an idea of the word that Jesus is actually using here, it's the word that's used for Martha in Luke 10.41 when Jesus says, Martha, you are marimna about so many things. I mean, you're consumed this. You can't even see that I'm here because you're so consumed that you're missing it. It's interestingly enough, but I thought that this really gives you a good indication of what this word means. It's the word used in 1 Corinthians 7 when Paul ta- is talking about marriage-ness, uh, marriage versus singleness. Giving the idea that the marriage person is worried about or merimna about their spouses while the single person is able to be marimna or consumed by just the mission of the gospel. It carries with it this word of being consumed by. The Spanish word for worry is actually closer to the Greek than any of the English words that we have to translate this. Anybody know the Spanish word? Where's my Spanish scholars at? Preoccupado. To have this preoccupied state of mind as we begin to think about things. But there's, there's a caveat that, in my honest opinion, is a necessary caveat, and it's reckless, and it's very common to ignore. I listened to I multiple messages on anxiety this week. Not one of them went into this caveat. I know why, because I'm inviting um, just a uh, big old something storm to come at me by getting into this, but it's worth getting into there is also when I say anxiety there is a medical condition that people struggle with and I'm sure that there are more opinions on this area than there are people in this room but that is just reality there is a medical condition because of the strong chance of this word being understood we really should have two different terms we shouldn't be using the same word to just describe two different things. Anxiety is probably not the best term for what's used here in the Bible and before you think that I'm playing fast and loose and trying to change words in your Bible, when is the last time that you called somebody who is having a hard time with their walk, lame? When is the last time that you referred to a deaf or mute person as dumb? We don't do that anymore. Why? Because language has a thing called etymology which means that it changes over time. We don't change the meaning but sometimes just science and linguistic changes mean that we have to keep up with the different terms and I think the same thing can be said of this word anxious. I could test this by throwing out a simple sentence. If you want to see how so many people are able to Um, Just see the same word in so many different lenses. If I was to say to you, Jesus freed me of my anxiety, depending on where you're at in life, you might be thinking, I had a job interview that I needed to get because we were down to our last dollar. We didn't have money and savings. We've been getting help from benevolence. And I was really anxious about this job interview. And Jesus just did an awesome work in my spirit. I'm going to go there. I'm going to apply for this job. Whether I get this job or don't get this job, it's in the Lord's hands. You might be thinking of it through those lenses. Or you could be thinking of, I wake up daily and battle with anxiety. And perhaps it even associates with anxiety's mean cousin, depression. So you would hear, Jesus freed me from anxiety. And it would be a completely different statement that you heard in your brain depending on how you define the term. I'd encourage you to allow the text to speak to your experiences with anxiety rather than allowing your experience to define the text. Did you hear me on that? Allow the text to speak to your experience with anxiety rather than your experience to speak to defining the text. The other word that is probably the most important to actually understanding this passage starts again right in verse 25, and it is the word, therefore I tell you do not be anxious so what is the point of the word therefore we know that when there's a therefore at the beginning of a text that it is connect the thought to the thoughts that preceded and were previously written to this text so in our case here whatever Jesus is about to teach us about anxiety is actually rooted in the verses that he was just talking about prior to verse 25 so the key to understanding how not to be consumed by anxiety and worry according to Jesus, if he's to use the word therefore to base his teaching upon that which is previously gone, is actually found in verses 19 through 24 where he says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures in earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart is, is also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad the whole body will be full of darkness and then the light is darkness how great is the darkness and then you cannot serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other or devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money so the whole idea of not being anxious for any of you note takers I would write these down they're worthwhile is built on three main ideas that come from verses 19 through 24. One, having your heart and treasure correctly aligned and having them in the right place. Two, having a clear eye that is fixated on Jesus's kingdom and kingdom purposes. And number three, single-minded devotion to the correct master. So let's look at the first one, having your heart and treasure in the right place. Again, verses 19 through 21. I say to you, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's basically saying that there are three principles that you can think of about any of the treasure that you own your mind will always be on your treasure your mind will be on your money and your money on your mind to create uh, to quote a great theologian Um, certain treasures depreciate and anxiety and loss will be the results from devoting your heart to depreciating treasure so invest your life in better treasure is what it's coming to isn't it easy to see the correlation between treasure and anxiety Like even if you've read this passage a million times when you're going through a panic attack and you never thought the word therefore should take me back to verses 19 through 24, now that you see that the word therefore contextually connects it to those verses, isn't it easy to see how treasure and anxiety could begin to connect to one another? If this was the only example that Jesus gave, it would be enough to show that being preoccupied is just a symptom of something that comes from somewhere deeper within. So if this passage about treasuring stuff is connected to the anxiety passage, then it causes us to ask ourselves an important question. Brothers and sisters, I would ask you to ask yourselves this important question. If I'm constantly worrying about stuff, what does that say about the abundance of my heart? And there's a cure within this passage. It might not be the cure you like, but it's right there. If stuff is making you anxious then stop living for stuff and diversify your investments and start investing in kingdom stuff. Um, And in case you're wondering if I'm stating that too strongly, what did Jesus say about the rich young ruler who came to him and said hey I want to follow you, what does it take for me to be able to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said you got a stuff problem dude. So work on that stuff problem so that you can have a heart that's devoted to me because right now stuff is choking out your desire to really get the answer to the question that you thought that you were asking me. The second example of Jesus hangs uh, that Jesus hangs on the anxiety passage is this the idea of the lamp the eye being the lamp of the body. Look at verses 22 and 23. This is um, very cryptic language but it's really cool as you start to break it down. The eye is the lamp of the body so if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light in you is darkness how great is the darkness it's saying that the lenses that you see through cast a dispersion on the way that you evaluate everything that you see in this example the eye is yet another portal that is just an outward manifestation of this inward thing that we call the heart. When you read eye or any other body part in the Sermon on the Mount, you can automatically replace it with heart. The eyes were talked about in chapter 5 earlier in terms of lust. But he was saying that lust, it's not your eyes causing you to lust. Ain't nobody walked around and caused your eyes to just start lusting. That's your heart. And the eyes were just the portal of what was our, your heart wanted the lust. So therefore your eyes found opportunity. Or he speaks of another body part. When I'm saying any body part, he talks about is always about the heart here. The hands were spoken of as objects of sin. But it's really just meant in the way that when we engage things, the way that we engage with them is just merely an overflow of, of the way that we're interacting with them through our heart here again the eye is the lamp of the body but what the eye is seeing is merely a reflection of what is in the heart that is looking to be seen I'm going to put this in a, a really deep theological terms so this is the kind of point. if you've zoned out zone back in because you need to get this and there's some big words here Jesus is saying that if your heart stinks the way that you look at the world is gonna stink too. You get that? If your heart stinks the way you see the world is going to stink too. Um, you ever hang out with an Eeyore? Anybody have an Eeyore friend? Every single th- thing that happens is woe is me and you gotta go tack their tail back on for them all the time. Why be happy? There's just another bad day tomorrow. I don't even practice that but I got a killer Eeyore impression. Um, so. When they get good news, they're somehow able to hear that good news with a negative twist. If the rain is out, the sky is falling. If the sun is shining, we're all getting skin cancer. I mean, there's no way that you can be able to give them the set of circumstances that their eyes will see as a portal into this world because it's not their eyes. It's the heart's. The heart influences it, and it influences the way that they see everything. The lamp of the body, if it's broken, then go back to Jesus' words. If you can't look at anything without it being broken, go back to Jesus' words. Seeing the world through a gloomy set of lenses or just plain not seeing things rightly because a heart is not right that is definitely something that can lead to preoccupied worry and anxiety and once again it makes sense why Jesus put the therefore in this passage before the words do not be anxious it gives you a road map to look at the world and the way that you see the world if you're constantly anxious that there might be a nuclear war and I go over your house and the only thing you do is watch the news 24 7 I'm going to give you a simple one. Turn off your TV. Like, that's what it means. The eye is the lamp of the body. If you're like, oh, gosh, Iran just got the nukes, and here comes Kim Jong-un again, and you're just freaking out every single time that little thing scrolls across the bottom of your news. Guess what? You know what you're doing? You're turning that thing on, and you're saying, hey, you, you be the lamp. You be my lamp, come into my heart, and you influence the way that I see things. I'm not saying everybody should just drop out of the world, but if you're living in constant fear and anxiety, change the things that you look at as you're also working to change your heart. I'm not a doctor, but I have a feeling that if you're constantly watching the news and constantly freaking out about world events, there might be a correlation. Um, you are a doctor. Does that sound accurate to you? Thanks, doc. Um, it's a free and easy place to start with actually it's better than free you'll save on your electric bill by just turning off your television thirdly jesus said that serving the wrong master can cause anxiety and that's the verse that directly precedes verse 25 the anxiety passage jesus uses by way of example trying to follow god and trying to follow this babylonian god named mammon who is symbolic of money and prosperity and what he's saying here is money makes an awful master and with it preceding the therefore in verse 25 the point jesus is getting at is really clear any other king other than king jesus isn't going to give you the security that you're looking for if you don't believe me go read the parable in luke with the man who had so much grain that his barn was overflowing and he says you know what i'm going to do i'm going to build more barns so i have more stuff and more security and jesus says you fool don't you know that today your life will be required of you? You can't out-security anxiety because the stuff that you would collect for security was never supposed to be your security to begin with. It's like the old saying that you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. All the money in the world will not give you security. The only thing more anxiety-inducing than making money your master is trying to worship the true God and the false master at the same time. That's what Jesus says right here. Talk to anyone who's tried it. It will eat you up, I promise. And it doesn't have to be money. There are many other masters that desire to preoccupy your mind. Things like um, needing to be liked. That's a big one, man. He could have said are you trying to serve God and your need to be like that's a cruel master. And you know what it ends up leading to? You lose yourself in the process. You end up saying like who is this guy? All I've done is become this gem- generic amalgamation of what everybody else wants me to be and I'm not even sure if I like half those people. So why did I ever abandon being myself? Success That is another really cruel master where you could substitute the words in 24, for you cannot serve success and Jesus while having a pencalf in your mouth. Um, It's a cruel master. And it is the thing that will truly make you feel like you've succeeded. You know what it does? It keeps the thing constantly dangling right outside of your grasp. And you know what makes that master even crueler? You're constantly comparing your success against another person because that's the nature of the master of success. And you're saying, yeah, I've succeeded, but I've not succeeded like that guy. Stability. That is another cruel master. You could have replaced Jesus' words in this passage with stability, and it would still end up taking you to the same point. And it's a cruel master because it is going to fight against anything that is perceived as a threat against you arriving at stability. This is the one where I've typically seen people come undone, myself the longest and the most often. I could give a million more but that's not the point. The point is can you see why Jesus anchored his famous words do not be anxious in the word therefore and then pointed to all those things. Can you guys see that? Can I make my point clear enough? Is it right as rain? You guys got that? Um, So as I move along, and I'll finish up in uh, seven minutes, um, the reason for the therefore is that our anxieties expose your true identity. Hear me on that. Your anxiety exposes your true identity. The reason for the therefore is Jesus is connecting between things that give us anxiety and the things that become functional gods to us. When you get this, you're able to see the rest of the examples in the passage and why I didn't devote most of the time to 25 through 34, even though that's where it directly speaks on anxiety. You're able to see that wrong identity stems from having a wrong master leading to wrong expectations, stemming from a wrong kingdom leading to high anxiety. I'm going to read that again because it's the blueprint to understand the rest of those verses. Wrong identity stems from the wrong masters, leading to wrong expectations, stemming from a wrong kingdom, leading to high anxiety. And when you come to that understanding, Jesus' words of anxiety just kind of flow from this passage. So I'm going to quickly look through those. So in looking at the body of Jesus' words on anxiety, a lot of anxiety comes back to what we are seeking. He says... Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you drink, what you'll put on your body. Is life not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not reap or gather into barns that your heavenly Father feeds them. Which of you being anxious can add a single span to his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Uh, I tell you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as even one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field today, which is alive today and dead tomorrow and thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, for sufficient, for the day is the evils therein. So he ends this section with those fascinating words about seeking first the kingdom, but then he does an interesting thing to get there. Jesus names all of these animals and wildlife and he shows they're cared for by your God without going about and seeking because your heavenly father is the one who does the seeking and he seeks after them and we should, like, should we not have the faith that he will even more seek after you when he said the son of man and he gave you his mission statement? He said the son of man is to come and seek and save is lost. And then he even throws an admonishment in there. He's saying, you little faiths, look at this. Each of you, you've seen these examples of the Father clothing the whole world around you in his beauty. Yet you are the crown jewel of his creation. None of those things that he named that he clothed each morning, the birds giving them their food, the lilies giving them all that they need to be able to sustain and live. None of them are the jewel of his creation like you are who are the apple of his eye. So if he seeks after those who cannot seek, imagine how he seeks after those who are called to be united to him through Christ so that you can be able to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that all these things can be added. Seeking God frees you from being anxious about anything less than Christ. And guess what's less than Christ? Everything. You should have known that answer. Come on, man. This is why I know that I'm going too long when you guys can't answer a question like that. But because we seek first his kingdom, our eyes are fixed on the fact that Jesus is doing more and adding more than we could ever need. I want to give you a little paradigm to think through in our remaining minutes. The matter that you're seeking reveals the true master that you're seeking. There is a direct correlation between the object of our affections and who your master truly is. If your master was security, if you're constantly seeking security to the point of anxiety, then your master is not Yahweh. You're serving the master of security. Being liked, if the highest thing in your life is to be liked and for people not to think bad thoughts about you, then Jesus is not the master. Self is the master. Money and stuff. If our master is money and stuff, Jesus already told you. I'm not making this up. He just said he's not your master. That mammon is the fruit of what you're seeing second part of the paradigm and seeking reveals a lot about the true master that you're seeking our different our different masters reveal different fruit in us guys we can pretend to be on board for a while but when your masters show up on the scene we're like Gollum going after the ring the moment that your precious shows up you're like jesus you've been my master but there's my precious and you've got to get it if our fruit is being overly apologetic and constantly concerned with what others are saying and thinking about us, it reveals that the true master is really just a more well-liked version of ourselves. I'll give you a tricky one. If your fruit is failure, if your fruit is failure, anybody ever fear failure? And it's, you don't have to raise your hand, but it's listed by most psych. Books is one of the top five things that people fear. If your master is failure, you know what it reveals? You're worshiping a master of success. That's all it is. It's just success turned around the other way. It's no different than the braggadocious man or woman. The heart is exactly the same. I want to be seen as successful, and if I'm not seen as successful, then that takes a hit to my identity, and I don't know what to do when my identity is hit, if my identity is not wrapped In Jesus Christ I've seen many Christians enslaved by the master of failure fear and failure is an awful master so what do we do when we experience the fruit is the last part of the paradigm and it says a lot about the true master we're seeking what if you got everything that you desired and outwardly by anyone looking in fruit just looks like it's everywhere Anything you put your hand to, you're just rock star in it for Jesus out there. Let me ask you, are there people out there that look like they have everything that might be struggling with anxiety inside? And I, th- I think of Patton Oswalt's obituary to Anthony Bourdain, and he said he traveled to the places I wanted to travel to. He was with the women that I wanted to be with, eating the foods that I wanted to to eat, and the places that I wanted to go, I would have never thought that it was him. And man, he looked like if there's any dude that's able to just have the life, that was it. Like the old 90's song, he was dying inside and nobody knew it but him. So would having every single thing that you wanted make your anxieties go away? If that's the case, then we have to ask ourselves whether we're worshiping Jesus or worshiping results. Would we still see Jesus as good? Let me ask, please, tune in. Would you still see Jesus as good if he didn't give you the results that you think that you deserve for your faithfulness? Because in reality, we deserve hell. And we already have eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you are constantly ruminating on anxiety because he didn't give you the results that you think that you deserve for the output that you think that you put out there, I would ask you whether results or Jesus is really your functional master in this. And be honest, man. Be honest. Like if you know, like, no, I'm stung. I wanted results and I didn't get results and I'm gonna pout about it. Be honest. Don't be the person that, feels that in their heart but it's like yes Jesus get to that place for real and then really worship Jesus spend time in scriptures like this and let him just work on your heart putting faith in results will ultimately lead to anxiety because results are in the hand of the Lord which makes yeah. them a terrible master when they are the actual thing that we're seeking rather than a fruit from the master that we're told to fix our eyes on. So um, I have a bunch of other good stuff. I'm not going to get into it. Um, I have some reflection questions to close. But I do want to, just verse 34, when it says, do not worry about tomorrow. Consuming worry, I've been talking about anxious in terms of consuming worry. Well, compounding worry when you go through each, it happens when you go through each day, seeking the answer for tomorrow's worries. Most anxiety results in worrying about tomorrow when God has only promised to give to you today your daily bread. We just prayed it in the Lord's Prayer. That's why I prayed that to open up. I, I snuck that one on you guys. We, we just spoke about how the lilies are given their daily need. We just spoke about how the worms get their daily, wor- or the birds get their daily worms. He did not mention anything about tomorrow yet in the text. Tomorrow, he will give you your daily bread for tomorrow. That's the way that it is. It's the way that God decreed, and he decreed it because he loves you, and that's the way that a loving God decided that it should be. Who among us, by worrying about tomorrow, has ever been able to change the tomorrow that hasn't happened yet or add a single span your life or even deal with the anxiety that exists in your spirit today and the cyclical nature of the beast when you're anxious about tomorrow's stuff today you don't end up getting the nourishment from today's daily bread and you wake up depleted the next day because you've already been trying to borrow on credit for bread that Jesus didn't give you yet so when we're worrying about today's stuff that we've been worrying about since yesterday Our enemy says, hey, since you're already trying to do the impossible, how about I give you tomorrow's stuff to worry about as well? And when we live like that, contentment for the bread that's supplied today is not nourishing to the soul in the way that Jesus intended it to be. It's living on borrowed credit. And by the time the debit hits, you're already too spent. And that's when consuming worry and anxiety begins to take over and the cycle of anxiety continues and Jesus is trying to tell you this is not necessary brothers and sisters Jesus died for your anxieties and worries and Jesus is enough to meet your needs even the one that you're worried about right now I'm going to pray Jesus thank you so much for being more than enough for being greater than our failures for being greater than our successes for being greater than our needs, for being greater than money, for being greater than stability, for being greater than our need to be like Jesus, you truly are our everything. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to partake of an ancient meal called communion, Eucharist, Lord's Supper, depending on the tradition that you come from.